Okay, well, the first thing we want to just ask you is to describe like where we are, where, where exactly we are, um, what's happening. Right now we're in the Russian-Turkish Baths in the East Village of Manhattan uh, in New York City. It's the oldest, probably the oldest spa in the country, I'm guessing, around since 1892. Cool. Spa. I mean, that's a category. I can't, I mean, or bathhouse, we're the oldest, well, oldest folding functioning bathhouse. There may have been a couple built around the same time. Uh, but I, there may be like one still in Boston that's been around, one in Detroit, but very few. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 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 So Lily, as you know, this is Dimitri Shapiro. He's the co-owner of the said 10th Street Baths. Um, and, and this recording for the audience is from back in the winter time. The last time Lily was visiting New York and we're sitting with Dimitri in I, what I'm like calling the dining area of the bathhouse. Banya situation. Cafe. I don't know if there's like a better explanation for what it is. But when you first walk up the steps, it's on the first floor, but you walk up some small steps off the street and it's like the desk is there and then there's a kitchen and uh, the room has a tiled floor and a TV that that was at the time playing a soccer match and the walls are pasted with kind of various famous people who have frequented the baths. Yeah, and so at the, at the table next to us, there's these two middle-aged men hosting, maybe drinking beer, maybe snacking, I don't remember at this point, watching the game. So so as we're setting up um, to record, to interview Dimitri, uh, one of the men at this table looks at my computer and turns to his friend. You see, you see the apple on the, on the computer? So I was reading an article. Steve Jobs created it. He was, for weeks he was trying to figure out how to place the apple. If it should face straight when you look at it, or as an advertisement when people see it. Pretty interesting, right? And then in case we didn't hear, he tells us to. Steve Jabs had created Apple. He was trying to figure out how to place that Apple on the, on the computer. If it should be straight when you look, when I look at it, or it should be straight you as the owner yeah. of the computer. So for months, I just read this, for months he was laboring how to, and he decided it's more important that people see the whole Apple as opposed to you. Ah. Isn't that interesting? Every little detail he thought about. It. Master detail. We look, we started one of the most successful countries in the world. Are you ready to go? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so she's in Russia, I'm Lily, and I'm Smith. And today we are telling the tale of New York City's infa infamous 10th Street Baths. Or as they're better known, so, the Baths. As they're better known the as. So Dimitri's dad, David, and his business partner, Boris, bought the 10th Street Baths back in 1985. David was from Siberia. Dimitri's mother was from Ukraine. And Dimitri and his brother were born in Uzbekistan before immigrating to New York when they were five and two, respectively. I, th I get the sense that they were part of that kind of large mig migration of Soviet Jews starting in, like, I don't know, I guess, like, the late 70s and going all the way to now or up until somewhat recently throw back to our brighton beach episode if you want to go back and mm -hmm. listen to that so 
before we jump into the history of the baths, I think it's important to just know what exactly the baths have to offer. <laughs> what luxury experiences? Um, so downstairs, as I recall, there are multiple sauna-esque things. Right. Can you talk about what you have, like what different types you have? Sure. So we have uh, five saunas and steam rooms and an ice-cold pool. pool's about 45 degrees. Not really meant for swimming since it's very shallow, just for dunking. Um, so we have a, a redwood sauna, typical redwood sauna, uh, a Turkish room, which I consider like a hybrid room. Uh, it's, it's hot from the radiators, and so it's kind of steam, but it's still dry. Uh, so And the temperature there is maybe in the 120s or so. Um, an aromatherapy room, which is another steam room, um, and, then a, and then a tiny steam room. Um, and fi- our main attraction is the Russian room, which is basically um, a giant concrete room filled with um, basically there's an, uh, an oven with 10 tons of boulders in there made of uh, volcanic rock. Uh, so those boulders are heated overnight. They give us all the heat we get for the day. We close the door and then, uh, you know, and then we turn it off during the day. Yeah, so it's just so the concrete holds in all the all that heat during the day. So it's not being active when you go in there. It's not being actively. That's heated. the one room that is that is off. While yeah, it would be too hot if if it was still on. So it just it just holds. It's built in a way to retain all the heat. It's concrete from all sides, and the the volcanic rock um, we heat it up like I don't know maybe about eight hours overnight. It's a pretty cool old system because it's uh, it's a giant furnace tent uh, on an, uh, a brick archway. You have to get special brick. Ten tons of boulders inside a like this old old it looks like a giant pizza oven wow. so it is wood burning or no no it's called uh, um, it's i'm what's sorry not called it's uh it's a uh, it's volcanic rock it's it's usually unfinished granite but what's burnt what's heating it oh it's gas okay it's gas okay yeah. and the rock is able to hold that's cool wow it was very hot yeah. It does get very hot in there. Well, there were a lot of people in there when you were there, too. So I think, and someone was like doing this thing where they throw the water on the rocks, which was making um, it. That's not really our thing. We keep the, our door, the, we, we're supposed to keep the door closed because what, what that does is that adds a little moisture. Uh, and we don't need to do that. The room is good the, the way it is. It's, it's, um, and also, if we need moisture, we have like, uh, we have tap, cold taps of water, which most Russian, that's not a, a typical Russian thing. That's more of like a New York thing. Uh, steam thing. culture is having cold water inside the room uh so like russians would have would not have running water inside the room they would bring in a warm bucket and then throw a couple things in the in the oven we don't do that we don't you don't even need to do that but we, our customers like to cool off while they're inside the room so we have these running cold buckets oh, and a giant okay. basin uh filled with cold water to, to douse yourselves um so it's pretty awesome gives you that that intense rush of the cold and the hot all at once yeah yeah like the pool but inside the sauna that's right yeah that's really cool that room by far was the hottest sauna i've ever been in yeah remember how hot it's like kind of fucked up how hot it is online i found that it approaches like 200 degrees which i don't yeah no it's it's not and that's not like a good banya temperature if you listen to our banya episode I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to make like a judgment on it because people obviously like it. Like the room was full of people and they've been doing it oh, for yeah, like two decades like, and people want it to be that hot. They like like that. Yeah, but it's like that male competitive sauna thing. Where they're like, yes, it's, it was it's like hot to the point where like the air is burning your skin. It's so hot. Yes. Um, so David. Dimitri's father and his business partner, Boris, as I said before, bought the baths like 
the building and the business itself, because the baths existed before these two bought it in 1985 and uh, for $950,000. So a pretty penny at the time and even now, but especially at the time. Um, so let's listen to Dimitri. Still, it's not that little. It's like kind of. I mean, now if you tried to buy it, it would be millions and millions. I know, of but like at the time, it was, it was nothing. So a million is like kind of a lot. But like, the, it's it's just kind of crazy to me that like they came from the Soviet Union and had enough money to just like buy that outright. That's, well, they saved it up. But yeah, probably between a, a bunch of people, or got a loan. Okay, what do I? Yeah, use? so so I think David's gonna or Dimitri's gonna explain it. So let's listen. Wait, who who um, founded it? Do you know the I do not know. I, we got it from another family back in 1985. So my family bought it from another family, and they had previously bought it from somebody else. I Like, I don't really know how... F- I know it goes back to 1892. Like, I had... This guy's grandson came looking for, like, old cash registers. He's like, yeah, my grandfather used to run the place in the 40s. I was like, that's cool, but, like, I'm sure they were destroyed 40 years ago, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't know who exactly founded it. But there were... Back in back in like the eighteen nineties, there were like dozens of bathhouses all over the country. A bunch of like public ones run by New York City. A bunch of private ones, uh, and then by nineteen eighty five, we were the last, prop, I believe, the last surviving bathhouse in New York. Wait, so your family bought it? Yeah, my family bought it in nineteen eighty five. Okay, so you're related to boys? Yeah, uh, no, no, David's my dad. Oh, David's your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah David's okay. my dad. All right, so do you? David Week. Oh yeah, excuse that's right. Me. I apologize. That's correct. Um, it's a week of David without David. So, Lily, do you want to, in a sentence or two, explain what week of David could possibly mean? Oh, God. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> they own, at this point in time, this current point in time, they own the baths entirely separately. And they switch off week to week. So, like, one week will be a David week. And then the next week will be a Boris week. And there's different clientele that comes on the different week. That's pretty much it. How did it come? How did the baths come to be? Are they co-owned by Boris and David? Or I'm sure I know this is like a yeah, yeah, yeah. They they own they they own the building and and they yeah they decided they wanted to go into business together and they bought the place together with a third partner in '85. In 1985, Uh, didn't work out with a third partner. We bought them out, Um, and then they worked together for a while until they realized they couldn't work together and they said well the way it used to work is david would work monday through wednesday and alternate thursdays and boris work friday through sunday uh and then they just realized that it just didn't work out for them they'd rather just work one week at a time um and i mean we've been doing that since like the early 90s i guess yeah wow doing the back and forth yeah the early 90s that's 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 my schedule like i work with my brother jack and we work uh we work seven days on, seven days off, so on and so forth. But we still maintain contact with them because stuff still has to be done, you know, when we're not around. The the decision to, like, split up the mm-hmm. the weeks, I mean, yeah. is there any more to that story that you can share? I mean, the, my dad and Boris are, like, very different people. Um, they don't believe in doing business the same way. And so they just found that they were just getting each other's way. They, didn't, they weren't getting along, and it was just easier for them to work one week he works one week. You keep your money. I keep my money. At the end of the day, I write you a bill, and and like you just you just pay half of it. And that way, they like they didn't have to interact. They didn't have to like hang out. They weren't friends. They were just business partners. And they, I mean, this, it's not an ideal way to run a business. It's actually very bizarre. 
but we've been doing it for so long that people actually kind of understand it. There's like an ar- a couple articles in the New York Times written about it. It's pretty, it's pretty funky yeah. and interesting. I mean, like for the most part, like my, just the front staff is different. Everyone in the kitchen is the same. Virtually all the massage therapists are the same. The entire laundry staff is the same. Um, if something has to be built, something has to be ordered, we do it. Um, we send him a bill. Okay. Boris retired recently. So he used to be, he used to come around every week, which I thought was hilarious since he's 78 years old. My dad, my mom and dad retired about 19, 18 years ago. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there we go. So now more like the Boris versus David week is in name only. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there there are. Yeah, no, no. The, the, the difference is if you buy a pass. That's the that's the main difference. Is we have different systems. Like I have a like a POS system where you run your cards through. It's like a Metro card like thing. Has a little piece of paper with punch holes in. He still works like really old fashioned way with like not even a cash register. It's just a uh, it's just a, a money drawer, and that's that's how he just works everything with little slips of paper, which I think is bizarre, and I refuse to work that way. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I feel like this I love kind of, that. yeah, I feel like so it's funny because Dimitri, his dad, David and Boris throughout the years have been interviewed um, and have, of course, been asked the question about the split because it's it's interesting. It's interesting to people and their answers are pretty consistent. And so. At one point, I feel like my perception was like, oh, there was some like dramatic event. But kind of after reading several of these New York Times articles, I came to believe that what Dimitri says is like the reality, which is that they weren't getting along as business partners and they could just split it up. So in a, in a 2016 article about the Baz in the New York Times, Mr. Tub- Tuberman, who's Boris, uh, this was, I guess, before he retired, called the split, quote, a profit divorce. He said, one day I came up with the idea, God made seven days, why not share them? <laughs> So um, nonetheless, the, the split has provided, you know, fodder for gossip for like the past three decades. And now it seems like much of the split, like Dimitri implied, is defined by Boris's kind of Luddite tendencies and his approach to sales. Uh, this is a quote from a different New York Times article, just somebody who patron, a patron of the baths. Um and they're describing what happens if you attempt to just buy a single pass versus buying multiple passes at once. If you try and buy a day pass, Boris will say, you're stupid from the heat. You have to buy passes. He would sell passes to a terminally ill person. <clears throat> and, and even though Boris is now retired and lives in Miami where he has another bathhouse of the same name and does not respond to my emails or calls for an interview, uh, the sales tactics on his week's seem to be the same and I know I've told you this story already but I want to tell part of it because it's relevant here so after we interviewed Dimitri we were like okay we have to we have to interview somebody from Boris's side also um at the time I guess yeah I we thought that maybe we get to talk to the man himself so finally I just I went down there in person because I called a bunch of times and nobody was like even picking up the phone or the email like literally bounced back um so I went down there on a Boris week to see if I could like sugar my way into an interviewing situation. And Boris's manager was there at the desk. And I just was like, hi, you know, did the whole spiel. I have this podcast. We interviewed David's son. We'd really like to get somebody from the Boris's side. And, 
and he's he was basically like rebuffing me um he's like no like call him call him down in Miami if you want to talk to him I was like I did call him he's like well then he doesn't want to talk to you (laughs) if he didn't if he didn't pick up he doesn't want to talk to you he's an old man he's retired um so I just like basically lurked at the desk for an extended period of time trying to butter this person up and I was somewhat successful um in the end but one of the things that I witnessed was the sales tactics. So this like youngish guy, maybe like 27, somewhere in our age range, uh, comes out of the baths and he's going to pay for a day pass. And the manager, the guy behind the desk is like, no, don't pay for a day pass. It's a much better deal if you buy a bunch at once, which is actually true in the case because they really gouge you on the day passes. And the guy's like, no, like I live in LA. I'm not going to be here again. It doesn't make sense. And the guy, the guy, the manager behind the desk points to the sign that has like the punch card prices on it. And there's, there's the words like never expires or whatever. And he just like draws his finger across the words. He's like, is this your address in LA? And the guy's like, no, no, no. Oh, oh is- God, I this I your forgot. address Part, in LA? Is this your address in LA? The guy's like, oh, I, I really can't. One thing I forgot about this that's key to the story is prior to this, I was like, well, maybe I could interview you. And he's like, are you going to pay me? And I was like, no, I'm not going to pay you. Like, it's an interview. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it if you don't pay me. And I was like, well, why should I pay you? And he's like, watch this. And then he starts selling the guy. You know, he's like trying to make the sale. The guy like rebuffs and rebuffs and rebuffs. And finally, he like gives up. He takes the guy's money for the day pass. Um, And then then after the guy leaves, he turns to me and goes, see, that's why I can't do it for free. And I was like, I was like, but you didn't make the sale. He's like, yeah, but I could have. I could have. So I think the the culture of Boris sales persists, even though Boris has retired and gone south. I see. Um, it, it's funny to me that Dimitri doesn't, he's like completely uninterested in the history of the baths, you know, even though he like has run them for such a long time and like he knows that they're like a New York staple and like, it has a very interesting history, but at least publicly, he's disinterested in the history of it. You mean he didn't, like, know about the history of the bus? Yeah. I mean, we asked him. He's like, yeah, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But, like, I found so much information about the history. Like, he uh, could just go read an article, and he's like, meh, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So I just, like, run them. That's that's what's interesting to me. Um, so, yeah. The, the history of the Baths from the beginning, long, long before Boris and David and their fateful divorce, is a good one. Um, in 1991, an article in the New York Times, so six years after Boris and David had bought the Baths, uh, Douglas Martin described the change in ownership. Quote, The place changed with Big Al Modlins, the last owner, died on the job while scrubbing a patron with oak leaves. He was unbelievably rude, but had clung to the old Lower East sideways. For a time after his death, loyalists tried to keep things going. A young man named Tim Hunter tried to manage the Schwitz for a while, but he couldn't stand the complaining. It drove me absolutely crazy, he said. Ownership then passed to immigrants newly arrived from Russia. They have brought enthusiasm and ideas reflected in the season's brightest edition, a little house for a shower on the outdoor sun deck modeled on a Dr. Zhivago-style dacha. Though some complain the new Russians prefer their heat too hot and dry, most recognize them as saviors. This is a part of the Lower East Side that should have died out, the lawyer known as Tiny said, but the Russians moved in and saved it. (laughs) So, so the building that the baths are in itself was converted from a tenement building 
seems like in 1892 or sometime around then, New York City real estate records state the building was built in 1900, but the address appears as early as 1865 in a New York Times article reporting on a robbery. So, Whoa. yeah. There Saturday was the New York quote, Times existed then? Yeah, I guess so. All the news that's fit to print. I know. <laughs> miniature people. It's it's really yeah it's cool it's cool that it's also cool that like the bads in particular seem to be primarily documented by the New York Times like up until present day. Saturday quote Saturday evening two men entered the large boarding house at number two sixty eight East Tenth Street and garroted and robbed Mister Theodore Sanchez in his room on the second story. At the time of this audacious robbery, the house was filled with boarders. So it was a boarding in the late. Yeah, yeah. Um, In the late 1800s, like 1880-ish, the building was owned and occupied by the Dannenbaums, who were this family from Philly, but like originally from Germany or of German descent. And they owned a millinery goods and undergarments business. Do you know what millinery means? Is this something hygiene related? No. What are like... So like one of the like one of the things they make are undergarments for ladies. Like what's in that kind of genre of thing? Accessories. Close hats. It's hat making. Oh, yeah. I kind of knew that, so, but very deep down. Yeah. So so at any rate, the Dana Mounds only lived there for like ten years before moving to the Upper East Side, I guess, to get away from the riffraff. And they rented floors two through four to mostly Germans, some 37 people census records show. Um, and the baths, as now, were on the first floor. So already the baths existed in the late, it seems, in the late 1800s. Whoa. And it, it, there's also evidence to suggest that the majority of the people that rented on those floors were employed by the Dannenbaum's business. And there was like a bunch of, it was just like random tidbits, but there was like 11 children in the building who attended an art school in New York City, which I was like, what? What? I just didn't know that was like happening at the time. Yeah. You like work at a millinery business and you send your kid to art school. It's cool. Um, so Dimitri mentioned this, that there were a bunch of public baths at the time, that the mm-hmm. city ran a bunch of public baths. And that's because in 1895, New York law, New York state law mandated that all large cities have public baths. So at the turn of the 20th century, the city had three types of bathhouses. They had large city-owned facilities strictly for sanitation purposes. So I presume you like go in, you shower, you leave. It's just like you don't have a shower mm-hmm. at home. Um privately operated bathing businesses so the equivalent of those but private and then facilities like the 10th street baths which were privately owned establishments for the purpose of relaxation Mm. and i i don't think i've said this yet and i don't know if dimitri said this but like the official name of the 10th street baths are the russian and turkish baths and the reason that's the case is because the signs that were established like probably around this time and then into the 40s 1940s and stuff said russian and turkish baths because that's just what they were and then all those other signs went away at some point and so they just took on the name russian and turkish baths what do you mean all those other signs like that was just the generic sign that would be in front of a bathhouse not oh. specific to the 10th street baths like this is a bathhouse russian and turkish yeah baths. wow that's yeah. that's interesting yeah. So 
throughout the 20th century the the these baths had a couple owners the property expanded a bit things were renovated what's now known as the russian room with the rocks was built and i think that was built like pretty long ago i want to say sometime in the 40s um but under david and boris's ownership the clientele has changed or maybe especially under dimitri's management with groupon and his high-tech gadgets like phones and computers I, okay, so in that time, which yeah. is quite a bit of time, yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've noticed as, like, clientele changes, um, oh, yeah. who's I mean, here? I would say, like, other than, yeah. our, our clientele in the late 80s, early 90s, they were older, more affluent. Uh, this place was a bit different. So, you know, we had, like, vodka and steak. So it was very, like, old school, kind of like a men's club because, like, it you know, cigars and all that, which was cool, but, you know, the, the city changed a lot, and, and, and our clientele changed a lot, and a lot of the older crew died off, and uh, I'd say, I don't know if you've been sitting here for a little bit, you'll notice a lot of our clients are like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, uh, probably live in Brooklyn, or, or the neighborhood, uh, they're not, they're, they're, there's a lot more people, there's a lot of young people, millennials, and they they don't have the kind of money that they want to spend, so they're mostly coming steam th- 90 minutes and then break out. They don't make a day of it. Right, right. Not which the is why whole... it's so, so quiet today right here. Yeah. Like, not doing the whole, like, vodka sitting yeah. and eating. Yeah. Well, we, and... don't, we don't even have vodka anymore. We couldn't get the license because of the church, but ah, it's, really for, it's really for the best. Okay. It's really... <laughs> yes, I remember the last... Can you tell some stories no, just, about having vodka? Well, I mean, just... Um, if, if, unless you're really good at it, you shouldn't drink when you steam. Like you have to be, you have to be an expert, um, and you know if there's, we used to actually it was really cool. I think it was in the it was it was in the nineties. We had like flavored vodkas, which was really awesome. Like all my dad made them, and he still does. Like nostalgia, like was, was, like, was, like infused. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. My dad still makes them from time to time. They're awesome, um, but you know people enjoy themselves a little too much, and and it's actually even happens now. It happens differently. People take too much heat and then don't feel well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's not like one story, but basically, like as a lawyer, is like we have a lot of liability for we're serving people straight vodka. It's better to just give them like you know a decent a beer, a little bit of wine. They'll be a lot more chill. Yeah. They won't hurt themselves as badly. And the license situation with the church is just like, what's that? Why do they have yeah, any say? Yeah, well, uh, it's, not, it's not even something we even care about. It's not even something that, that our clientele has changed. They don't want. They're not coming here for shots. They're not yeah. coming here to make a whole day of it. They're, they're going to grab a water, go downstairs, steam for 90 minutes with their buddies, and then break out. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So it's not. It's fine. I like how you're using the word steam because it's like what it's like a direct translation of a Russian, the what Russians right. would call going to the sauna. Yeah. They like say to steam. Yeah. Rather than spotted. to like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like that. Does everyone? Use, I mean, is that like the common terminology uh, actually, here? I think a lot of people use the word schwitz, the more the Yiddish version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. My brother uses that. Yeah, schwitz. <laughs> Yeah. Gonna go have a Schwitz. Yeah. Well, I don't. No one. No one says let's go to this. Oh, actually. But Schwitz is the sweating. You know, is sweat. Yeah. You know what? Maybe maybe the the Finns would say, "Do you want to go to the sauna?" But otherwise, most the yeah Russians would have seen, because we do get a lot of Finns. Oh. I, yeah. I think. We, do we have the president up there? Former president of Finland. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when the Finns come, to like, ooh, they like stare at the person. <laughs> like, all right, it's not him. It's just a facsimile. <laughs> They're all crowded. <laughs> <laughs> nice rosy cheeks. I guess he was a popular president. Ooh. I'm sorry. Did he just say it's not him? It's a facsimile? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? 
like it's a picture of him yeah yeah exactly like their enthusiasm was like too great for it just to be like a picture on the wall it's not actually the president it's not actually in that him, tiny folks. frame it's a facsimile um yeah and, and throughout the bouts history like famous people really have frequented it like People, I mean, you saw Matthew McConaughey there. Uh, the older articles from like the early 90s, eight, late 80s talked about like John Belushi being a regular. It was known that there were, or there's, uh, you know, tales of mobsters having their own dedicated room and like cleaning their guns there and stuff. So it's, it's, a, I mean, if you've never been there, like it's a grimy place. And I kind of assume that in some ways it was always a grimy place. Like it doesn't have like a clean spa feel. It has like a kind of a bit of like a dirty bathhouse feel. Um, but it's still attracted famous people. I did see Matthew. Matthew. JFK went there. Whoa. Bunch of people. Yeah. Um, That's surprising. So, like to like Dimitri said, the thing about New York City bathhouses is that there used to be a lot of them. I mean, the New York New York law required it, but in the eighties, amidst the height of the AIDS crisis, the city shut down basically all of them, the hotbeds mm. of degeneracy and sodomy that they were, and the Tenth Street baths were among the few that remained. Um, there, I mean, there was, I mean, there was the St. Mark's bathhouse, was uh, on St. Mark's, um. There was, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Lucky Chang's. Before it was Lucky Chang's, it was a, it was a, it was a sauna. Um, there was a lot, there was a lot of New York spas. The problem is in the in the early days there was a giant AIDS scare, and as a result the city uh, called an emergency and closed virtually all of them down. Ours they didn't because we, our place wasn't run like that way. So we got we got really you know that's where we got lucky. We were, we owned a monopoly, you know went right when we uh, right when we walked in. So yeah, I want to ask because I, I yeah because bath culture is like relate or associated with like gay culture in New York, it, right? Well, it was. Yeah. It, it isn't anymore. Okay. It's more now more so it's associated I mean, in with history us. Also. Yeah, but historically, but yeah, because yeah, um, we st- we went co-ed in like the late '80s, and I think we were probably one of the first spas in New York to do that. Before was it only men, or you would have? So it would be. It would be. F- I think it was five men and two women. I mean, in the '80s, and then and then we we went to co-ed like very pretty very pretty much very quickly. But there are still men's days now. There's a mor- a, a morning for mm. men, an afternoon for men, and a morning for women. Yeah, and and side note, the Lol. the co-ed decision um, is something that Boris has like claimed as one of the reasons for the success and longevity of the bathhouses. So, I mean, firsthand anecdotal evidence suggests that nowadays gay shit does happen at the 10th street baths um from your did. brother from your brothers yeah I um when think, yeah. so and then also when i went down to the baths to hunt for boris while i was lurking at the desk harassing the manager etc um this like very old man came up and the manager i think called him rabbi i'm not sure um and so I'm standing there and then like he, he starts interacting with me. The old man does. Um, and then at some point he just goes, are you trans? I can always, I can always tell with the transsexuals. And I was like, no, I'm not trans, but thank you for asking. 
Um, and then he, so, and because I was like nice about it, he just was like, all right, go in it. So he's like, all right, can I ask you a question about the homosexuals? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, sure. Um, you know, obviously I'm like laughing and he, he like leads in. He's like, are they born that way or is it how they're raised? Oh, <laughs> and so like, I, beginning. I like, I, I like sort of start answering him genuinely. Um, and the manager is like kind of doing his managerial things behind the desk. Um, but then he's, then he comes back and he's like, you, you go, you're like mostly to the old man. He's like, cause he's hearing the conversation and how ridiculous it is. He's like, you're blocking, you're like blocking my customers. And the man like looks around. He's like, what customers? If they come, I'll move out of the way. Oh um, and then, he he tells the manager whose name I at the very end find out is Ben. Um, he tells he tells Ben, you know, like I'm asking her about the homosexuals because you know downstairs in that first room it gets really it's it's hot in there, and Ben's like, what do you mean? And the guy's like, you know what I mean with the homosexuals, oh and Ben's God. just like being like evasive. Um, Whoa, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, he's just being evasive. He's like, well and like kind of give it like ribbing him and giving him a hard time but like definitely not trying to engage in that conversation um but i i even though maybe nowadays there is like some homosexual undercurrent in these particular baths i guess i can see how that may not have been the case in the early 80s like it could have just been a bunch of rabbis and like russian jews not jerking each other off because in a 1991 New York Times article where the person, you know, the person goes and like profiles the baths or whatever, mm. the author, n- the author notes a prominently hung sign proclaiming the baths to be, quote, the straight place. So I think. Whoa, I think they were homophobic. I get the I mean, homos. Yes. Out. Per, yeah, I think I think it was an attempt because essentially what happened is like right at the point when. New York City started shutting down bath bathhouses. Boris and David bought the 10th Street baths. And I mean, maybe already those were established as like where the old like Jewish rabbis go. You know, I don't know, like Russian or immigrants they just wanted and stuff. to get that. They just decided to make like a campaign. Well, they, they decided to make a campaign. And I think the making it co-ed was like... Re- probably a very like integral choice to that because it's like mm. no it's not a homosexual layer we have the ladies here mm-hmm. um sometimes so the aids crisis and the in the subsequent co- closure of all the other bathhouses left boris and david with effectively a monopoly which is probably why they can get away charging like 50 something dollars per admission nowadays um i i do kind of want to make a side note here which is that the shutting down of the bathhouses is a complex thing i was reading archived new york times articles from the time and it started happening in october of 1985 with an emergency shutdown for 60 days and i think it came from the state legislature because i mean aids was spreading quickly they weren't doing a good job of educating people they had discussed about shutting the bathhouses down in the past but people had been like no like that's not you know, closing down the venue isn't the way to solve the problem. You're just mm-hmm. going to push it into other areas. Um, th- but yeah, right. So like the problem isn't just that the bathhouses are like these, they're not, they're not so clean cut as just being like, oh, you go and you like fuck or whatever. Like they were venues, like performances happened there, mm-hmm. like Bette Midler performed at, 
at like gay bathhouses. People got screened for STDs there, registered to vote. Um, They were definitely like hubs of community. So like you're kind of stripping people of a core part of their lives when you shut them down. Uh, One scholar who studies this like particular era of you know, the rise of AIDS and the closing of bathhouses, put it like this, um, to, to entertain any notion that these closure, closures damage the dignity of gay men, we must resist the urge to pathologize these public anonymous and, sex, and casual sex institutions. But unfortunately, public officials' first response to the crisis was to invade these community institutions as sites of the problem at the very time that the government was underspending on HIV education, prevention, and resources for these communities under siege. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this isn't like Boris and David's responsibility, for sure. And like maybe they just got lucky. You know, they bought the bathhouse that was for sure the straight quote the straight place but it is it is kind of just like crazy to think about the bath culture at the time like being kind of at its peak and all that remains is this like one instance of it mm-hmm. yeah like these real like venues of things happening like cool shit happening at bathhouses and I don't know. That makes it, sense. Like, I feel like that totally makes sense for what yeah. bathhouse could be. And that's yeah. what kind of sucks about the situation now because it's not that the 10th Street Baths is the only one. Remember I asked him about competitors. He listed all these competitors, but they're all like fancy and expensive also. Yeah, and that's the thing is they're not even like, they don't feel fancy. Like the 10th Street Baths don't feel fancy. Well, like it feels like you should be able to pay $10 and just like go to a banya like you would want to. But you just can't and but i think their clientele at this point is so committed that they're willing to you know fork over the money for it because they love it so much but even the ones like in brighton i was looking again being like wait maybe those are cheaper they're not they're the same price so like these russian immigrants in brighton are paying like 45 dollars to go to the banya really fucked up it's yeah but i like how the it sounds like the bathhouses were more than banyas in a way i mean with all their different roles. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but, like, if you really engage with the, like, eating and socializing part of the Vanya, then you could get maybe a similar effect. Yeah. Yeah. There was, some, there was some cute anecdotes, not related to the gay thing, cute anecdotes in some of the art- other articles I read. Like, one of the New York Times articles did a profile on both, like, a David and Boris week, and the author, I think it was a woman, when she was there for the Boris week, she had already interviewed Dimitri and she found him sawning on, on a Boris week. Oh my which God. Which is cute. Or like, he told us that he likes to go to the competitors because it's just like, it's not his place of work. It's like more vacation or something. Yeah, and, and he just really likes bath culture, so he appreciates it regardless of... Even if he you know. has to pay with little paper slips. Staying in my lane, fast car, race car games, just car in my name, dropped off up the rain. Okay, let's close this puppy out. That's the episode. Thank you for listening. If you live in New York City, I recommend going to the 10 Street Fast once just to check out the scene. You can't get naked unless you go on your gendered specific time. What? Yeah. Once you'll be down $50 to $60, but... Yeah. 
Oh well. But maybe like make an event of it if you're feeling really, you know, compelled. Or you can just go to your local YMCA for free and go to the sauna day. I mean, it's pretty darn close. But it's only one sauna. Other than a fleet of Um, Subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter. Support us. Follow us on Twitter and Telegram at She's in Russia. Support us at Patreon.com slash She's in Russia. And make sure to root for the Blazers. Go Blazers. A little Blazer show on our hands. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a lot of famous people come. Yeah, this is this this wall is a bit outdated. I uh, saw Matthew uh, McConaughey. Yeah, he's he's up there. Oh, oh, so he, I definitely saw him. You definitely saw McConaughey. He ha- he told a really great story <laughs> for about twenty minutes at my counter. Just he's great. He's just like wow. He's just a cool like storyteller. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He's he exactly, was just telling you a story. Well, he was telling uh, my my assistant Jen Emma that a story about how she knows like a friend of hers from like back in the days on Days and Confused. And it was a story <laughs> I would have told in about thirty seconds. He told it for like twenty minutes. But it was great. It was great. Just hilarious. I think he came here with his wife. His wife's into it. Yeah. That's I mean, awesome. yeah, we we could update the wall, but like, I just don't feel like it. I kind of like it. it looks kind of looks like an old school deli kind of. Yeah. yeah. So have you have you worked here like basically all your life? Like after. Uh, that's how I feel. <laughs> definitely, how I feel. Uh, I, my brother and I have been full time since the early two thousands, okay. maybe late nineties, early two. I, I uh, after law school, I decided to do this instead. Oh. Very bizarre. Yeah. Did you take the bar? I did and passed it. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm practiced for a little bit and then. What kind of law? Uh, mostly real estate. Um, and I don't love it. So yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. Okay. I mean, part-time, over 25 years. It's a nice schedule, though, the week on, week off. It is, and it of. isn't. <laughs> so, you know, do, wanting to do things on, my, on the week that I'm on, it's like I know my schedule five years from now. I know where I'm going to be. So, you know, I tell people, like, hey, if you want me to go to your wedding and it's a destination, make sure you look at my schedule. <laughs> that's, it. that's all I ask. <laughs> I missed a couple of bruises as a result, and that's about it.